This is Andrew Blumenfeld. You're listening to the Money in Politics podcast. My guest today is Mather Martin. She's an experienced political and nonprofit fundraiser who has worked with a lot of names that you've probably heard of. Uh, she's currently fundraising for U.S. Senator Cory Booker, but has previously worked with Kamala Harris and has helped to advise the giving of mega donor and philanthropist Sean Parker. It's no surprise that everything that's been thrown at us in 2020 has also upended political fundraising. So I'm excited to be chatting today with Mather about what she thinks about it all and how she's approached fundraising throughout. First, though, a quick word from Call Time AI. You're listening to Money in Politics, brought to you by Call Time AI. Campaigning is hard. Why not make fundraising easy? Using automation and artificial intelligence, CallTime AI lets you fundraise five times faster with easy-to-use tools like instant donor research, automated voicemail drop, and donor scoring, so that you are always calling the right person at the right time with the right ask. Go online to calltime.ai to schedule a demo and start your free trial today. So I'm here now with Mather Martin, who actually happens to be one of my favorite people. So thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, ditto that. Ditto that. Thank you. <laughs> well, why don't you start by sharing with everyone listening your background? I mean, just give us the lay of the land, how you got involved in politics, how you got involved in political fundraising specifically. Sure. So it, it's a pleasure to be here, Andrew. I love you, obviously. I did grow up with a mom who found herself in democratic politics and fundraising. Um, so that wasn't her original career path, but watching her when I was younger, doing that kind of got me interested. She worked for Feinstein when she ran for governor unsuccessfully and then on her Senate race. So I'd always sort of wanted to work for women running for office. And that, so that was the start of it. I, I got out of school and I think my first stint in fundraising was working at a New York firm where it was when Gillibrand was running for her seat in the House. It's when Nadler was running for re-election, Jerry Nadler, and Scott Stringer for Manhattan Borough President. So my first dabble was right out of grad school in like 2000, whatever year that was, six, I suppose, doing call time and things like that. So all the fun stuff right away, working the <laughs> desk at events and call time. But I don't know that I necessarily wanted to be in fundraising at first. I had done field and political and coming off of um, Hillary's first presidential campaign, I realized that it's great to get volunteers to make 10,000 calls and do all this. But I kind of wanted to work in a field where I could see the numbers go in the bank and see the dollars go in the bank. And that's kind of what transitioned me into fundraising. I, I wanted to know the benchmarks and how real they were. And so when I started uh, back in 2009, after Obama became president, I joined Kamala Harris's AG's race and I was asked to run it, but I would have had to relocate it. And when I said no, Ace Smith, who's a longtime mentor and friend of mine said, do you want to try fundraising? And so that's kind of how it happened. After the internship a few years prior, it happened basically because I didn't want to relocate geographically and I was looking for hard numbers in a bank. <laughs> but I will say it's sort of my natural skill set and it is really just sales and it's just kind of relationship management. So that's how it got started. But you know, for someone who's as loquacious as I am and, and, and likes to sort of interface with people, it's kind of a natural fit. It's funny, too. I mean, there's that relationship piece, there's that interpersonal piece. But to your point, there's also just the gratification of seeing yourself make progress in real time, which is so much harder to do if the kind of one true eye on the prize, which everyone, of course, on a campaign shares is winning on election day. But you don't necessarily have as many obvious benchmarks along the way about your progress. Fundraising provides for some of those ongoing benchmarks. So, so that scares a lot of people. For those of us who, for whom that provides comfort, it makes sense that we've gravitated towards fundraising. 
<laughs> that's, that's exactly right. We love knocking on doors and you, you go door to door and you have those conversations, but you really have no idea how they're going to go until exactly. election day. And so it is nice to be more on a quarterly schedule where you can see how much you've raised and, and things like that. So you've mentioned a few of the people that you've worked with and for. Tell us a little bit more about sort of that arc, especially as it pertains to fundraising. You've called out a few instances, the initial races you did right out of grad school, the attorney general race for Kamala Harris in California. What are some other fundraising roles that you've had? Yeah, so the internship in New York was great because that was just like the basics, as I said, and I sort of doing Hillary's presidential, that was all field and political. I interned for Pelosi for a while just in her district office, which of course is just political. And then I ran a ballot measure in LA where when you're the campaign manager for that, that was finishing out the 2008 cycle. You also are managing a budget and sort of overseeing the fundraising too. So that was a good taste of that. And then like I said before, coming off of the 08 cycle, going into Kamala Harris's AG's campaign, Attorney General's campaign, I was sort of managing Southern California fundraising at first, which turned into all of California, which turned into national. And then shortly after that, I moved back east to New York City and ended up getting introduced to Cory Booker's world, who was mayor of Newark at the time. And this was in 2011. And I, I should back up and say this is after a successful attorney general's race for Kamala Harris. Um, two years later, moved to New York and Cory was running for re-election for mayor, raising for re-election without knowing what his next move was going to be. And I did that for a few years. But it was interesting because both Kamala and Corey have national appeal and there was some donor overlap there. So to go from Los Angeles to New York City, it was actually helpful in knowing the California base as I my my sort of my charge was to keep California active for Cory Booker. And so after a few years of him raising into a mayoral re-elect fund, he decided he was going to run for Senate. And that's when Lautenberg, unfortunately, Frank Lautenberg, the longstanding senator, senior senator in New Jersey, passed away. So we ran a special election in 2013 for Corey's Senate race. I did California national, all sorts of money for that. And then the next year, he had to run permanently for the seat in 2014. So basically did California and national fundraising back to back 2013, 2014. And coming off of the heels of that, was the beginning of 2015, which is when Kamala Harris, my former boss, had decided to run for Senate. So coming off of two Senate races, it was a good place for me to go. I, I remained in New York, but but really focused on California and sort of helped Kamala get up and running, going from a statewide race in, in a statewide position into a federal campaign. Because obviously, or, or as we can discuss more, there's very different rules with fundraising and everything when you're running statewide versus federal. And so that's what I did in, in most of 2015. And then at the end of 2015, I actually did an event with Sean Parker, who you know has a home in LA, and it was for Kamala Harris. And through that, I ended up getting approached by him and his team to come in-house with him and advise him on his political you know, finance activity, which is what I've done for the last few years. And then last year, right about this week last year, I went out on my own, started my own firm and have kept some of the people I just mentioned as clients. So now I have a range where I do some campaign and candidate fundraising. I do some donor advising. I've now spread out into nonprofit advising and fundraising as well. And for those who don't know, just maybe a second or two on who is Sean Parker? Sure. So <laughs> Sean Parker um, is a tech mogul who got his start starting Napster, as some of you may know. And you know, many of you might know that he was depicted by Justin Timberlake in the movie right. The Social Network. <laughs> he then went on to help start Facebook. And so 
that's where he got his legs in the tech world. But since then, he's become a very big political giver. Uh, he's very generous. He he also does it for all the right reasons and, and wants to be in the room where it happens, as we like to say now, and, you know, help help do good policy. And so he's he sort of has a think tank out in D.C. He's also started a cancer institute in 2016 that focuses on immunotherapy. And he had a family office um, where I went in and, and, again, really focused on the political finance piece. But it was great to be a part of it because his he has a, such a broad focus on the things he does. Still, still is on boards of you know tech companies and all that, but has really decided to go into the philanthropic space in the last few years. So, um, and he of course got his sort of notoriety in the Bay Area, but lives in Los Angeles. And so again, it was another way to focus on sort of California fundraising with him. Although you know we did a lot of national work as well. So this is actually why I'm so excited to be talking to you because as you've just laid out, you've got a really extensive set of experiences and a really well-rounded set of experiences, I think, when it comes to political fundraising. You've worked with Sean Parker, as you've mentioned, and others on donor advising. So you kind of have a perspective on those who are giving money and who have interests in policy and are trying to make sure their dollars align with those. You also obviously have worked with these phenomenal candidates, uh, these kind of nationally recognized candidates as they've frankly moved up the ranks. You know, you've been with some of them for quite a while through their careers. And it's, it doesn't go unnoticed that two of those people that you've highlighted and two that you have, you know, the close relationships with and have raised a lot of money with and have been with for a long time are now two of the only three black U.S. senators in the United States Senate, the two, only the, the two only Democratic black U.S. senators, which obviously is taking sort of new level of resonance over the last several months, which we'll definitely talk about separately in a moment. But just taking a step back from that whole big experience of all those different perspectives, I'm just curious over the last say, five or six months as all that our country has gone through, given where you sit and all that you do, what has just been your general perspective on the trends of fundraising as it has had to contend with a completely kind of new America? It's a great question. And it does seem like it's changing every month at this point as like a new you know crisis emerges. It does seem like you hear a lot like, in, on the political side, you hear a lot from presidential candidates saying, you know, they don't care about the big money. They want grassroots. They want people to give a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, twenty five dollars. I think that's become very popular in the giving around, you know, what's happening right now with the Black Lives Matter movement and sort of all the justice campaigns. I, I think people are realizing that traditionally people get overwhelmed when so, so many asks are being made of them and there's so much going on and what can you do? But I do think people are stepping up with $25 here, $25 there, because at this point, if enough people do it, it it's really to show that a million people were a part of something or 5,000 people gave to this. And so I've seen amongst my circles, donor circles, friend circles, myself, Usually, you know, in a year in 2019, you might sit here, even with a low budget, and say, you know, throughout the entire year, I'm going to give $300 away, and that's going to be 50 to this organization. My friend does the AIDS life cycle ride, and my friend does this breast cancer organization, and whatever. This time, I think people are giving when asked. I mean, one thing about fundraising. It, you know, it's it's not like the biggest, you know, art or science in the world, except for that if you don't ask, you don't get. And so many asks are going out right now and people are heeding the call. I mean, people are giving. And I think it is such a stressful time that 
people are, are speaking with their dollars, but in small amounts, but that is fine. That is okay. Because then you get on a listserv and then you get to read about it and then you follow up on it. And so, of course, we all love our big contributions and the people that are able to do them. And that helps carry a lot of this too. But it's the voice and the, the, you know, the raising of the hand that comes with a small dollar contribution. And I've seen a lot of that. And I think it's also, it's similar with Biden too right now, where there's a lot, you know, they do so many of these events. And of course, with COVID, Zoom is now a thing, which we can talk about too. But, you know, I may not think that I'm going to ultimately give Biden $1,000. But if I get invited to enough $250 events that I'm really inclined to be a part of, I will ultimately give that money. And I and it's, it's the same as getting an email from Color of Change and the ACLU. If you're sort of asked the right things enough times, you will start to split up your contributions that way. And that is, you know, also what I'd advise people to do, because then you keep your hand in as many pots as possible. It is really remarkable that despite, as you point out, historically, the more overwhelming sort of the times are, the more multi-layered the, the asks are, you know, that usually creates a level of paralysis. And I know, I mean, you have worked at all steps of the ballot from truly, you know, sort of the very top on down. And uh, certainly in my experience has been that the further down the ballot you are, if you're in an election where there's a lot of stuff up the ballot and it's getting a lot of attention, it, it really does suck the oxygen out of the room and it, it sort of sucks the dollars out of the room too. It is really interesting you know, to hear you talk about how that, that doesn't seem to be quite the same uh, this year. It doesn't seem to be having that same effect. No, I think people... I think people, 2020 is about as real as it's been in a while. I think with the election and what's happening, people can't really be quiet. I've seen a lot of people, I mean, I've seen a lot of people pause for a minute, let's say after George Floyd's murder and and, and really want to be thoughtful and said, okay, what are the five organizations I can give to? Sure. And I've seen people say, okay, I'm ready to finally give to Biden. What's the best way to give to Biden? Is it through this? Is it through a candidate? You know, whatever. There's a thoughtfulness on that level, but there is not paralysis. I'm not seeing paralysis in terms of giving. I think because there is so much to give to, I have seen people redistribute or rethink their priorities of giving. I've seen that, but I've not seen less giving. If anything, I think because people, so many people have taken a financial hit this year, it's, it's almost like they've been forced to be more thoughtful and, you know, from, from a few different angles right now. I'm not, so I, I mean, yes, people who could maybe once give a ton of money, the, this, you know, with stocks and everything, that's maybe not the case, but for the sort of average person that likes to support multiple organizations or causes a year, it's just forcing them to be more thoughtful about it, but not, not stopping them from doing it. Yeah. Well, and let's talk a little bit more then about some of the the, the multiple, as you said, reprioritization, right? Well, one of those things for certain, right, even for people who have been dedicated to the cause of civil rights and equal justice and anti-racism for a long time, I, I have to imagine for even those, again, for whom that was always a big priority, the last several months have just revved that up. And then for those for whom, you know, maybe that wasn't as high on the list, it, you, you certainly it appears as if it has rightly shot to the top of their list. And and I mentioned earlier that you have have you have worked are working with currently some of our only black leaders at the highest level of the federal government. So I'm just curious from that perspective, especially with regards to you're working now for Senator Cory Booker, in addition to being one of those black senators, he also just has this profile, which I think is justly earned as really great on a variety of civil rights issues going back a long time. So in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and all that has come since then, especially kind of in partnership with Senator Booker, 
what 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 has been your experience like from a, from a fundraising lens? What does that look like? Yeah, it's 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 a great question, and it's a few different things. And I'll start by saying, you know, yeah. So I consult for Corey, and he has a re-election this year. Um, he's been in the Senate somehow for six years, and if, and similar to <laughs> similar to 2013 and 14, because he ran for president last year, he now has back to back campaigns again, which. Yes, he is one of the he is in one of the safer Senate seats, no doubt, especially with with certain races coming up this fall that we have to pay attention to. But he still has to get there. And as as he always says, you either run unafraid or unopposed and he's not running unopposed. So there's work to be done there. And because of that, you know, I do look at Corey as my workhorse. I need him to make my calls. I need him to do, you know, what I want. And I remember, you know, George Floyd, I believe, was killed on a Monday and it was the Friday of that week. And I had a big event coming up and I needed Corey to make some calls. And he bowed out of calls that afternoon. I, I got a little upset. And then, you know, I forgot for a minute that he's this big black man who has his own life and his own stories. And he's not just a United States senator and he's not just my workhorse. And it was sad. It's been sad working for someone who looks like Cory Booker in this time. And then it's also been incredibly inspirational. I mean, he already is the voice that so many of us need, but to work with him this closely during this has truly been um, life-saving in a way and powerful and hard. And, you know, so, so, so going back to the Senate race and addressing what I said before, there are some people who've given Corey every dollar he's ever asked of them who still would always do anything he asks, but have said this cycle, you know, instead of maxing out to you, I am going to max out to, to, to Biden. And so we've gotten some of that. And that's an example of the reprioritization. However, and then of course, so there's that then with COVID people had to slow down some of their giving. But then after George Floyd's murder, I would say there was a resurgence of people who said, no, 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 no. We need to do everything we can to make sure Corey's voice stays in the Senate. So even though it's a safe seat, if you're, like you said, one of the three black U.S. senators and one of the two Democrats, you need to, to help him win by a big margin and to just, and it's also just what he was doing with the co, you know, the legislation with police reform, you want to support that. And so it, we've seen th- this roller coaster in 2020, but being a part of his team right now with that has been incredible. And he's gone out of his way to help elevate the conversations, as many conversations as he can, as many black voices as he can, as many organizations as he can. So that's been pretty incredible. And I, and I will say also as, as people monitor where they should give money, people who've been longtime supporters of, you know, c- civil justice and things like that. One of the interesting things is, you know, there's one, there's one organization or movement that that's very popular one week, but if, you know, five days in, you may need to reprioritize where you're going to give your money because they're they're saturated. They're good for now. And you need to look at maybe another city and where they need the funds. And so this is also, it, it does take a level of, you really do have to be read in right now and paying attention. And so that's one of the reasons why I do recommend looking to some of the leaders you've supported over the years or admired over the years and look at where they're advising to put your resources because you know, that's a great, not a shortcut, but it's a great way to figure out what you want to do. If you believe in them and you agree with them and how they, you know, try to try to lead, then you can sort of trust that where they're going to direct you is a good place to go. Yeah, it's been really uh, interesting to see these campaigns, these candidates, their fundraising teams help steer dollars in a variety of places. And actually, specifically with regards to the campaign uh, for or his campaign for re-election right now, 
I, I understand, maybe help me understand a little better about how when you help raise money into Corey's campaign, there are actually sort of tiers by which you can be giving yes directly to him, but you also can give and you can also be giving sort of through him to other causes. Can you help explain that a little bit? Yes, I will preface it with the phrase that no good deed goes unpunished. So the second anyone gives anything to Cory Booker, we always have so many more options to give more and more in different <laughs> directions. And, um, and that's a phrase he likes to use all the time. And he, he, he jokes to his friends that he's their most expensive friend. But this goes for most campaigns, most candidates. So I'll explain it for him specifically, but it's really general. So obviously, you can give direct hard dollars to his reelection campaign, which in this case is Booker for Senate. There's a federal cap on that for anyone running for federal office. House, Senate, President, you can, an individual can give $5,600, which is $2,800 to the primary, $2,800 to the general election. After that, in, in Cory Booker's case, he has an entity, and a lot of people do, Biden does right now as well. So a lot of campaigns have what they call their victory funds. In this case, there's a Booker victory fund. Biden has a Biden victory fund. And it houses different channels through which you can give money. So after the hard dollars directly to the campaign, in Corey's case, he has a way to give to the New Jersey State Democratic Party and their federal fund. There's a $10,000 cap there. And basically, if you give to that, you're helping Corey support all of the down ballot races going on in New Jersey this cycle. So that's the frontline seats in, in their House races. The Governor Phil Murphy is not up for election this year, so and, and neither is senior Senator Bob Menendez. So Corey is the top of the ticket and thus has to help carry the lower races, as you mentioned earlier. That's where that money goes. The, the pocket after that would be giving to his leadership pack, which in this case is called Purpose Pack, and that's where Corey spends on other federal races. Um, so for example, and he could spend on, on more races than just federal, but for example, in a non-COVID time, that money would help him fly to South Carolina and help Jamie Harrison, for example. But in this case, he can also write checks to other campaigns and things like that. Beyond that, there's even a state account of the Jersey, of the Jersey Democratic Party. And then beyond that, because again, you know, we can we can keep going forever. Cory Booker himself has a link to give to Joe Biden. Cory Booker himself has a link to give to all these other frontline races. So if you want to support Amy McGrath, you want to support Jamie Harrison, you can do so through Cory Booker. A lot of these senators also end up having Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee requirements every cycle. They have to raise a certain amount for the DSCC. And it's a good thing too, right? I mean, Corey wants to help his peers. And, you know, a lot of these senators want to help their peers. So part of this is that he wants to help his state of New Jersey. Part of it is that he wants to see certain seats overturned. He wants to see McConnell out. He wants to see Graham out. And then he also wants to help, you know, his his fellow senators gain reelection. And so, if someone came to me and said, I want to do every last possible dollar I possibly could to Cory Booker, there are about seven different ways to do that. You know, again, only only that first pocket goes directly to his campaign. But the others are ways of not only saying, Cory, I love your voice. I love what you've done. I love I love what I see for your future. I want to be here for that. But it's also, again, maybe I don't know where I want to give all my money right now, but I trust this senator. And so I'm going to follow his lead on this. And so a lot, so we actually have people who've given to his pack, but not directly to his campaign because they want to help other races. And we have people who have raised through his candidate links, but not given that much to his campaign. But it's, but that's part of also who he is in this 2020 cycle. He's on Zoom's He's on more Zooms for other candidates right now and other causes than he is for himself. And that's that's Cory Booker specific, but it, I think it's also incumbent upon anyone right now with with you know a platform in 2020. So 
kind of you've touched on this in a variety of ways, including with what you just said. But I'm I'm just wondering, what's your typical pitch to donors? Is it mostly these days because it is a safe seat, but because he is so there's so many reasons why you would want to put dollars behind him. And again, you've you've kind of touched on this throughout, but I'm kind of just uh, trying to get to a a finer point on is that the pitch you're making to donors that hey, we need to you know, win by this healthy margin? Is it, hey, we have all these down ballot races that he supports? Is it he's going to help make sure that we have a different president come November 3rd? I assume at some level, it's all of the above. But I'm just curious, like, as you're out there in the world, I think you started our conversation by saying that you love fundraising. And one reason is kind of like sales. What's what's the sales pitch? What's what's the major pitch that you're making when you've got a senator who is, you know, likely to be comfortably reelected in November? It, yeah, well, I'm going to hire you because you just did it for you did it perfectly. And and I will say it, it is sales. But like, if, if you don't like if you don't like and I'm not going to call him or any any person a product, but if you don't like what you're selling, you, you can't do it well. And, and, and Corey makes it easy and Kamala made it easy. And you know, so I just want to say that but it's exactly all those things. There is also a cap on what people can give every six years, right? So so part of it, his primary was last week. And as of the primary day, an individual who can give fifty six hundred that gets cut in half. They can only now, from now on, give twenty eight hundred. Some people just don't even realize that, and they want to give them every dollar they can. So part of this too is like maybe the primary wasn't going to be that hard, but the money you can give for the primary and the general can all be spent on the general election. And what we've been anticipating is that we're going to have a self funder, and sure enough, we do. We have this. We have a gentleman, um, Rick Mehta, who is a self funder, Republican, and we've seen self funders give a run. You know, Menendez a run for their money before Jersey has a lot of that opportunity in the state. And so, part of this is if you raise more early, you show the opponent what you have because it's public information, and so they back off or they realize they can't compete. That's a big part of it. And if you don't come out early with it. You're opening yourself up to vulnerability that that's unnecessary. You shouldn't have to do that. That's one thing. The second is he gave everything he had to the presidential. I didn't. I, you know, I I wasn't there. You know, for the last year on his presidential, but he spent every dollar he raised. And so when you are a federal, so he so because he's a senator, you can move that money that you have from your previous Senate campaigns over to a presidential campaign. But that means he spent it all down last year. And so whereas some people have a six year cycle to build up money for their Senate reelects. He did not. He had to turn around immediately and do this. So for a lot of people that, again, want to do everything they can for Corey, they understand he was building his coffer up from from basically zero. And so part of it is if you like him and you want him to be in a fighting position for whatever comes next, you have to help him build his coffer. You then, you know, and you want to and you and there's a cutoff, like I said, with people's capacity and you want to make sure to 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 meet that. But to your what you said before, yes, this is about this is about getting Trump out in November. And the more money you can give to Cory Booker or any candidate's direct campaign, the more freedom they then have to go out and campaign against Donald Trump, against Mitch McConnell, against Lindsey Graham. And that's part of this here. He, he, if he's sitting pretty with a good coffer, he can then go do Zooms all day, all night for, for everyone else. And, and Cory Booker's not right. good at saying no to a Zoom. So I promise you, he really is doing them all day, all night. Well, I think he's an incredibly compelling figure. So certainly part of the idea of having him freed up to go campaign on behalf of other people is is itself pretty, pretty powerful. I'll say I, I have found in the past, and I think that you are a perfect example of this, that people who have worked in any amount of donor advising, and you've now done a, a good amount of it, 
just makes you such a better fundraiser because everything you just said, for instance, and a lot of our conversation here today, frankly, it's about almost educating, coaching, <laughs> mentoring the the mind of someone who, on the one hand, has capacity financially to be helpful, and on the other hand, has values that are aligned, principles that are aligned, sort of big picture vision that are aligned. But the gap is in all the technical stuff. Where does the dollar go the furthest? Why does it matter that I give before the primary if I know he's going to sail through the primary? Well, you just answered it because you can give twice as much if you give before the primary because it can be rolled over into the general. You know, I mean, just that level of insight that makes someone go, okay, I'm bringing into alignment what I care about and the dollars that I have to put behind that. And I can feel good about that. And I don't have to become myself an expert. That's something donor advisors do as a profession. But I really think it's what candidates, fundraisers, campaigns should think of themselves as they should be donor advisors. That's what makes a donor want to give. <laughs> you, know? you are exactly right. I mean, basically, every time I hop on the phone with a potential donor for Corey, we have that education conversation. And it is, right, right. It is funny that people who've known Corey for 20 years, and they've given so much money over there. They still every time are like, wait, how much can I give again? What can, you, what can I do? What's the extent? How much more? It is, it's a re-education piece with everybody all the time, especially if you don't yourself as a donor have someone in-house do, doing that, doing that advisory for you. Right. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to let you go, but before I do, just one last question. I mean, looking ahead to the the months we have left in this election, I'm just curious from the from the perspective of the Senate, um, especially given your work with Cory Booker, what are you thinking? I mean, what 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 are you most hoping to see between now and November that's going to make you feel good that Democrats are going to take back the Senate in November? Yeah, I think we're looking good. I think Arizona's looking good. Colorado's looking good. There's a few other states, you know, where a lot of people are putting their money with Amy McGrath in Kentucky and Jamie Harrison in South Carolina. Those are going to be tough races, but I don't think the money is unwisely spent. I don't think it's, you know, sometimes you have these races where, and Corey is also, and we as a team are trying, we're not trying to recommend throwing your money away. And I, I don't think, I've, I mean, I've given to tons of races over the years that haven't turned out successfully, although not tons. I'd say I have a good track record, but I, but you, you, you don't really ever feel like it was wasted money. But I do think we're trying to look at the races that, that are doable. And those are both doable, which is, amazing to think about. I mean, I, somehow I, it's hard to think that Mitch McConnell will not prevail because it's just, it's hard to imagine that reality. The Senate's feeling okay, though. The Senate is feeling okay. And I really, but I, I would encourage people to keep giving to key races and, and, and again, look to your, look to someone you look up to and, and who's your leader and, and look to their direction on which races to give to and at which time and how much. But I, I do think Biden, Biden, Biden. I don't think anyone should sleep on that. I, I, I think the Senate is looking good. But without Biden winning, it doesn't really matter. It really doesn't matter. So I, I I try to just redirect people to that all the time. And I know, and I don't think giving to Biden sucks, air, you know, sucks air out of the room for the Senate races. I think it kind of all has to be looked at holistically. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful reminder to end on. So thank you so much for spending some time. I think, as I mentioned at the outset, one of my favorite people, I think you're brilliant. So I appreciate you sharing some of that brilliance with folks who are listening today. And, uh, and you know, we'll have to have you back on maybe a little closer to Election Day. Absolutely. Thank you. This was great. Awesome. Thanks so much. 
Stay up to date with the latest fundraising trends, forecasts, and advice by going to the CallTime AI blog at www.calltime.ai. And follow us on Twitter at CallTime AI.